0: Welcome to the Prison Project podcast. I'm your host, Alexis Raskin. This is a podcast about criminal and social justice issues from prison reform to ethics and everything in between. Available on WDIY 88.1 FM and on WDIY.org. Welcome to episode three. Today on the show, we have Dr. Dina Davis as our guest speaker. Thank you so much for being here today, Dr. Davis. Thanks for inviting me. Dr. Davis is a religion, studies, and bioethics professor at Lehigh University. She conducts research in bioethics, church and state, religion and law, and holds a JD and PhD. Also, Dr. Davis was involved in the prison project.
1: Well, I'd like to stay. say is a volunteer. Is a, Oh, currently. Um, although, right this semester, our schedules didn't work out. Yeah. But I'm certainly hoping to do it next semester, for example. So I guess, although I haven't been able to do it every semester, I've been involved for maybe four years. Wow. So what has your experience with the prison project been like? Well, it's just been amazing in in so many ways. Um, The prison itself is a kind of fascinating place because actually, although we call it the prison project, Um, This is a jail, not a prison. And the difference is that in a jail you have a sentence of one year or less. And it's actually kind of a strange place, I think. Um, I know a little something about other prisons. I had a lot of male friends who were in prison during the war in Vietnam, and they were in minimal security prisons like in Allenwood, Pennsylvania, for example. And my son is a volunteer chaplain at Sing Sing, which is a max security prison in um, New York State. This is a jail, not a prison, and it's surprising in a number of ways. For one thing, the overwhelming number of people there have not been convicted of anything. They're mostly there because they can't make bail. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about fairly low-level kinds of um, kinds of infractions um, for which some of them have been in jail for many months, but they have not yet been convicted. So that's the first thing to think about. The average time that an inmate spends there is 59 days. So there's a lot of fluidity, a lot of churn, if you like. The other thing that was very surprising to me is that it takes both male and female prisoners. And, and the final thing is that it has prisoners at every level you can think of. Juveniles, who are kept separate from the rest, minimum, medium, and maximum. They're not there for a long time, but they might be there because they have to testify in a trial in a local court, for example. The result of all this is that it's an extremely locked-down environment. So if you were to look at a place that is simply a minimum security prison, like, say, Danbury um, in Connecticut, you would see a great deal of freedom for the inmates um, to walk not in and out of the grounds, but at least in and out of buildings, um, onto maybe uh, an outside recreation area, and so on. Um, But because this place is has the occasional max prisoner and because they're very concerned to keep the men and women inmates separate it's actually an extremely locked down environment so my son and i were comparing notes and you know he's up there in sing sing but if he needs to go to the bathroom he can go to the bathroom by himself i'm always very careful not to have to go to the bathroom because if i do They're going to have to call a guard to escort me, and then he won't escort me back to the classroom, and I'm done. So it's a very locked-down environment. I see as a tutor, so my job when I do it is to tutor people who want to pass the GED, which comes in. It's made up of four parts, and you can take it—you can take them separately. So maybe typically they leave math for the last Mm because they think it's the hardest, (laughs) but, you know, they'll be working on English or social studies or math or science. Um, And the hope is that this experience in prison will not be a total waste, and at least if they get out with even some of that GED under the belt, it will um, help them get jobs— If they only pass two out of the four, at least that's half, and it tells them they can do it. Mm -hmm. Also, if they take it while they're in the prison, then it's free. Whereas if you take it outside, unfortunately, you have to pay, I forget what, it's $30 maybe. But, you know, it's enough to be a barrier to some people. Mm -hmm. So I see a very small number of people because of when I tend to be free, I see women. They don't allow women and men in the classroom at the same time. So I tutor women, and obviously I tutor women who have not yet passed high school. So I see, you know, a kind of tip of the iceberg or a very small section of what's going on. So women who are eligible and women who choose to come to the classroom and do this. They're not required to do that. You know, on one Wednesday, you might see this person, and you're helping him with math, and then all week I'm thinking, okay, how can I do better next time? How can we move ahead? And then I show up, and it's, that person's disappeared. I don't know where she is. And I'm teaching a different person, and it's English. Mm. So that's what it's always like. Right. One of the frustrations is that you cannot bring anything in with you, like, say, a textbook from home. Mm. So you, don't, you can't prepare beforehand because you don't know what you're going to be right. doing. Yeah. And the resources in the classroom are extremely limited. Mm. I'm still a little puzzled about all that. I think they're giving us the workbooks for the GED, but not the actual textbooks. So if you want a picture of the solar system, you have to draw it. So it's almost like, I don't know, the Peace Corps or I something. It's really kind of strange. Yeah. What you bring in your in your head is what you have That's to work have, with. Right. And they'll give you a pencil. Mm. And you can't prep. So, right. of course, the most amazing thing would be if they could have, um, it's a wonderful set of GD prep, um, um, videos from I think the Khan Academy that are available for free yes, on yeah. the internet, and but you don't have internet. Mm. You don't even have something where you could bring in, you know, a CD or and show it. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, it's like a little like Little House on the Prairie or something yeah. in a one-room schoolhouse, and you don't know what you're doing. But um, at the same time, the women are really eager to learn, and it's. It's fascinating. I walk out of there, I'm always so frustrated with, you know, the system. Right. And at the same time, so exhilarated by the experience. And without fail, every time I leave, um, we're all kind of lined up to leave together because you can't move anywhere without being escorted. So they're going to lunch at the ridiculous hour of 1030 in the morning because they had breakfast, I think, at six. And I've done my 90 minutes, and I'm being escorted back out. So we're all kind of milling around. And every one of them, oh, thank you, Miss Dina. Oh, thank you. You know, my Lehigh students sometimes say that, but not with that degree of, um, (laughs) you know, sincerity and and so on. So I I find it, uh, you know, an enormously gratifying experience, I have to say, although it's frustrating at the same time. I really miss doing it this semester for reasons I don't entirely understand it's been harder and harder to schedule and they have fewer and fewer available hours there right as I say Uh, I hope to be doing it again uh, in the spring
0: I hope so too I know the way that the women are held in the prison is very different than the way the men are because they're in the older section of the right. prison. I've actually never worked with the women. It was something I was looking forward to doing. But it's, because it's in the older section of the prison, they don't have as much outdoor recreation time. Right. They don't have the same resources. Like For the men, there's a good amount of... I get the GED textbook for like the teacher's guide. and I the, have the, never seen that. The men are given the like worksheet... Copies, But you get something I
1: have never seen. Maybe you can photocopy it for me.
0: Maybe I can. (laughs) But they have, uh, I don't know why it's so disproportional.
1: Well, in general, and this includes federal prisons as well, there are so many fewer women than men Mm -hmm. that they simply don't get the resources, like library access and, you know, other kinds of things. Every once in a while you'll get someone like... um, I don't know that Martha Stewart ever did this, but um, the woman who wrote Orange is the New Black, for example, or um, Mrs. Harris, the so-called diet doctor, murderer, remember? Um, She had been headmistress of the Madeira School, this very, very Tony prep school, um, boarding school. So every once in a while you get a female prisoner like that Mm -hmm. who will really um, come out of there with a passion for using her middle-class smarts and connections um, and social capital to bring some focus onto women's um, situations in prison. But it's not very often.
0: Right. Typically, what age are the women that you work with?
1: Well, they're much younger than they seem. Well, it's interesting because I'll try and guess. On the one hand, since they're not wearing makeup and they're all wearing the jumpsuit, um, they look younger to me in many ways. Um, But um, they range, I'd say, in their 20s and 30s. And then I'm always astonished. Somebody will tell me she's 22 and she's got three kids. And that, to me, and that's probably not an experience you have because if a man has kids... He doesn't talk about it the same way. But exactly. in this case, you know, I had one who was pregnant and gave birth while I was tutoring. I don't mean literally, but I mean
0: <laughs> between good. one week and the <laughs> next. During algebra she lessons. <laughs> gave, right. She
1: gave birth. Um, wow. And what then, happens
0: to a child when the mother gives birth? And
1: well, in this case, you know, it's really all about grandmothers. And I feel for them. I know that when I was finished raising my son, I was done. Yeah. And if he had turned around and said, Hey, Mom, you're going to be raising three more of my kids while I'm in jail, I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> but that's exactly what's going on here. Right. So in the case of the woman who was pregnant, she was looking at a fairly long term. She had driven drunk and killed somebody. Oh, wow. So um, she, the, her mother came, I guess, to the hospital and took the baby. Yeah. I mean, I know in some prisons there are um, facilities for Women and babies staying together for a few months, I guess, and breastfeeding. But um, that didn't happen here. Right. Um,
0: and I've heard of even prisons where women are shackled to the bed while they're giving birth. It's, there's a whole different range of the facilities that you can right. get as a mother in prison. Well,
1: in this case... She wasn't. didn't give birth in the prison. She gave birth in you know, whatever hospital, hospital right. you would give birth in in Easton. I assume and hope she was not shackled. She certainly was not a violent prisoner. Right. But um, it wasn't a case of being in the prison, um, I don't know, infirmary or anything.
0: Right. On the topic of family, maybe we can switch okay, a little sure. bit and talk about sure. some of your research.
1: Yeah, so I've been interested in the ways in which um, in the last... Quarter of a century, maybe. We have more and more ways of making families. So, some ways are old and have sort of resurfaced and are not very high tech, like, for example, artificial insemination, which, um, you know, is you can use a turkey baster, it's not particularly high tech. Um, Surrogacy, which, of course, has roots in the Bible. The story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar is the story of surrogacy. But again, not either not used or kept so undercover we don't know about it until the final quarter of the 20th century. And now we have, um, we can put sperm and eggs together in petri dishes. We can then freeze them for we really don't know how long, um, could be 20, 30 years as far as we know. Um, we have gamete donation, um, so sperm and egg donation. So a family where the, um, well, you could in theory a baby born, um, forget when, but in the last century who supposedly had five parents, she had the two parents who wanted to raise her. She had a sperm donor and an egg donor and then a woman who, um, actually, Um, gestated the pregnancy for nine months. So um, all different ways of putting together families biologically, and then um, in some cases, things go wrong. Mm. Um, In the case of the baby who supposedly had five potential parents, it turned out the parents who initially wanted her decided they didn't want her. So then the question became not who people fighting over who gets the baby, but suddenly a baby where no one seemed to be responsible for her. Mm -hmm. And then the court had to decide, well, who's responsible for this baby? Or um, before um, same-sex couples could marry, you would have, say, a lesbian couple, one of whom would be biologically connected to the child, Mm -hmm. and the other may have raised the child from the first moment, Mm -hmm. but then there's a breakup Mm and suddenly that other mother has no legal connection to the child is what the New York court called a legal stranger. Mm. So that's very odd, right? Right. Um, And um, the newest possible wrinkle, you might have noticed that um, down in Philadelphia, the Children's Hospital, Mm. Philadelphia, CHOP, Mm -hmm. um, is doing experiments with raising baby lambs um, from pre from being very premature to being only premature, um, in things I don't figure what they're calling them. I'm calling them Joey bags. So Joey is a baby um, kangaroo, kangaroo right. so I think of this as a Joey bag because mm-hmm. you know a kangaroo gives birth before the baby is able to survive mm-hmm. outside, and then tucks it back in the pouch until it's ready to leave. This is sort of that idea that a woman who might be experiencing you know, much earlier delivery than anyone wants with a baby who might not be able to survive outside the womb. You tuck the baby in the Joey bag with the right amniotic fluid and a nice heartbeat and a fake placenta and a fake umbilical cord. And then you deliver it when it's old enough to survive outside. So... That's lambs right now, but of course their hope is to do that with humans, which is a great idea. Um, if you've ever been in a neonatal ICU, it's a noisy, stressful, awful place. Mm-hmm. Um, but it raises more questions, you know, when you think about fetuses and embryos, we usually think of them as being inside a woman's body, right. and our law is around that, right? A mm-hmm. woman has control over that because it's in her body, mm-hmm. but there's something a little weird about that because most women it's not really the nine months of pregnancy. it's the next eighteen years of course. right that's i mean all our talk about abortion is about nine months mm-hmm. but most but in terms of making a decision for most people, it's really the eighteen years, right? Of course. so once this say twenty two year old twenty two week old very premature baby is tucked into the Joey bag. The woman has no more rights to decide what happens to it than does the man because mm. it 's no longer within her body right, right? same th- I mean Roe v. Wade and all the other cases are all predicated on that location, and the same thing is true um, if we freeze embryos, which all we you know have been doing for decades now once You know, they're they're never in a woman's body, right? We put them together in a Petri dish, then we stick them in, you know, a freezer, so to speak. And when a couple divorces, there's no particular reason why a woman should have more control over those embryos than the man. So we have to have a really different legal system for thinking about that. And it can't be predicated on, on Roe and Casey and the abortion
0: cases. Um, So in your opinion, for the legal trends in bioethics relating to embryo rights and who has the right, the woman or the fetus, when do we mean human being according to the law?
1: Well, I don't believe embryos have rights. Mm -hmm. I believe people have rights, persons have rights, and embryos are not persons. Um, But I do believe that women and men who um, make embryos have rights, mm. and I believe that when an embryo or a fetus is outside a body, extracorporeal... in a joey bag. In a joey bag or mm-hmm. in a freezer mm-hmm. or whatever else scientists come up with, that the the rights of the progenitors are now equal, or at least, you know, until there's... I mean, perhaps one of them is considered is incarcerated or is, you know, in some way considered to be um, unfit. But, you know, at least you go into it with the assumption that they're equal. Yeah. And that's really very, very different than the way we've had to deal with it up to now, where, you know, if an embryo or a fetus is alive, it's alive inside somebody.
0: Right. Technology is changing. It's yeah. going to change every law.
1: That's why bioethics is so much fun. You right. know, I don't have to go around thinking... Can I say one new thing about Plato? Probably not. Right. But I can say a new thing about, you know, every week or month, scientists nice. are giving us new things to think about.
0: Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Well, thank Dr. you very, very much for having we me. We loved having you. And everyone should go check out Genetic Dilemmas by Dr. Dina Davis for more information about bioethics today.